This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. It's my honor to introduce our next speaker, Dr. Paul Glassman. Uh, Dr. Glassman is a professor of dental practice, director of community oral health, and director of the Pacific Center for Special Care at the University of the Pacific, Arthur Dagoni School of Dentistry in San Francisco. He's also the director of the California Statewide Task Force on Oral Health for People with Disabilities and Aging. And he served on many national panels, including the IOM Committee on Oral Health Access to Services, which produced the IOM report on improving access to oral health care for vulnerable and underserved populations, and the board of directors of the Denta Quest Institute. Uh, Dr. Glassman is well known for his innovative uh, work in uh, dental health care, and we look forward to hearing what's the latest uh, in this area today. Dr. Glassman. Great, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, dental care, uh, not optional, even though our, as you heard, our Medicaid uh, system seems to think it is. And California has eliminated uh, adult dental benefits at a time of, uh, of a recession and now brought them back. So we're now actually in an era where we've got full benefits in our Medicaid program for dentistry, which is different than most other states. Most other states still, still don't. But we still have a dental system that's not working very well. And I'll give you some information about that. Not working very well for most people and not working very well for people with developmental disabilities in particular. So for... Uh, first of all, disclosure is nothing to disclose. Um, for people with developmental disabilities, these are the, really the main issues in terms of people getting dental care. Uh, one is the ability to actually access and have dental care done in a dental office. Um, access is an issue sometimes because of the large number of people who may be on uh, low income on Medicaid and who can't find a dentist willing to accept someone on Medicaid, let alone someone who's going to take more time and uh, an effort to treat. Um, for some dentists, the complex health histories and not being familiar with how to navigate all of the consultations and all of the considerations is a barrier. And um, the major thing, though, is actually the ability to apply preventive procedures. Dentist, dental disease is among the most preventable of all, dental, of all diseases, and uh, yet we have rampant dental disease among large populations. Uh, portions of the population. So I'm going to spend just a couple minutes really quickly with sort of a big overview of what's happening in the dental industry now, so I think it lends some context to innovations in dental care, and you'll see why these innovations, I think, are critical for the, for the future. So one is just the fact that we spend lots of money in the United States on dental care. This is CMS projections of how much was spent back in uh, 2000 up to 2025, a 300% projected increase up to $200 billion, that's with the B. $200 billion spent on dental care. Now, a lot of people think, well, even that $200 billion, that's actually still a small percentage of our total national health care expenditures, which is about $4.5 trillion. So our policymakers don't pay very much attention to dental care for that reason. But in fact, dental care is a bigger business than that. If you compare dentistry with everything else combined together, it's about 4 or 5%. But if you look at our national expenditures by disease condition, dental care is number three. We spend more money on dental care than we do on uh, mental disorders, cancer, COPD, every other condition except for just a couple. So it's actually really very big business in our country. 
But the fact that we spend all that money, I think, as most people know, doesn't translate into most people having access to dental care or having good dental health. Uh, in fact, if you just look at uh, uh, basic utilization numbers, this is data from the American Dental Association, the highest utilizers of dental services, and this is across the income spectrum, the highest utilizers of dental services are children, and for children, it's still less than half the children in the country actually get dental services. This, the marker here is a very low bar. It's an annual dental visit. It doesn't mean people had all their needs met or that they had good dental health. It just means they interacted with the dental care system once during the year. So even the highest utilizers, children, less than, less than half the children in the country have even an annual dental visit about 43% of seniors, and only about a third of working-age adults. So you can see that the dental care system is not reaching most people. And if you were to do this, again, other slides I have but didn't put in today show that the lower your income are, these numbers drop drastically, so that low-income children, about 33% low-income seniors, it's only about 20% of those working-age adults are actually getting any kind of dental services. So by my calculations, 200 million people in the United States are not getting dental services. Um, we have a dental industry that is primarily serving the wealthiest and healthiest people in the country. I think far different than the general health general healthcare system. So that's one bit of data. So the macroeconomics of the dental care system in the country, which by my view is failing miserably to provide dental care to the population of people in the United States. Um, what's interesting, though, actually, if you look at the utilization of, uh, of dental services in the Medicaid program nationally by uh, look at people with developmental disabilities, they tend to actually have higher utilization than other people. Now, it's still not good, but tend to be higher utilization. This is the data from a report that was recently released showing, if you look at the two bars on the left side, those are diagnostic preventive services. The yellow bars are those with developmental disabilities. The blue bars are those without, so more people with developmental disabilities tend to get at least um, than other people in the Medicaid system. Diagnostic preventive services, and the other little blip says adjunctive general services. These are services that are associated generally with people having dental care in a hospital or under general anesthesia. Um, so it's sort of puzzling to me. Why, why, why is those numbers look good when I think everyone in this room would agree that dental services is probably the number one unmet need, or if you ask people or caregivers or people in developmental disability systems, what's the biggest problem you have? It's often getting dental care for people. Um, and I'm not sure what the answer is, although I think you have people who are in a, in a system where there are caregivers, where there, is, there's, there are people who are bringing them to dental offices. But I think what we find is that in dental offices, the right things to keep people healthy are not necessarily being done because of all of the challenges that we talked about a few minutes ago. So let's talk now about a few things that are happening that I would call innovations, or at least changes in thinking about dental care across the dental industry. Um, and one of the reasons I want, I want to just give a little more background to this idea of disruptive innovation, the, the dental industry is an industry that is ripe for disruptive innovation. How many of you heard this term before, disruptive innovation? This guy, Clayton Christensen, who wrote this, these books and actually a bunch of others, is a professor of, uh, of business at Harvard, and he's one of these people that gets... Um, $10,000 a day to speak to Fortune 500 companies, and I've been trying to get that job, but I, so far no, no one's offered it to me. But uh, what he talks about, this idea, his idea of disruptive innovation is, he talks about companies, and this case will translate into companies or industries, or for this particular presentation, I'm talking about the dental industry. So I said that companies, sometimes companies tend to innovate faster than their customers' needs evolve that they can start to produce products or services that are actually too sophisticated, too complicated, and, and uh, too expensive for many customers in their markets. And uh, 
companies continue to do this even after their customer base starts to drop off because historically that's how they've made the most money is by having more bells and whistles, adding more expensive, expensive products. But the problem is when companies persist in doing that at a time when they're no longer, when they sort of outstrip their customers' demands, needs, and ability to access services, um, they unwittingly open the door to disruptive innovation. He talks about disruptive innovations as a whole new product or service comes in at the bottom of the market and begins to take over and uh, eventually uh, begins to disrupt the market so that you get people who now were historically able, uh, unable to access that services now can. So there's lots of, of examples in the uh, U.S. industries of the, the automobile industry where um, the American automobiles manufacturers were making these block-long cars back in the 1980s and so, and then the Japanese automobile manufacturers came in with low-cost Toyotas, very, very low-cost, very high-quality, good gas mileage, and practically put the U.S. automobile industry um, out of business. Uh, computer industries where IBM was making these very expensive uh, mainframe computers and then advent of the Apple uh, laptop almost put them out of business. And what we have is a dental industry where the dental industry has continued to um, develop fantastic uh, innovations, implants and veneers and all kinds of things that most people in the country can't afford, don't need, and don't have access to. And so it's an industry that has actually positioned itself now that's really ripe for disruptive innovation, for different ways of thinking about how do you get dental health to people. Um, so one of the things that's a new way of thinking about dental care is a shift in thinking about dental disease being amenable to acute surgical interventions as opposed to thinking about dental diseases as chronic diseases that really require a system of chronic disease management like is so prevalent in managing other medical chronic diseases. So what am I talking about here? I'm talking about our two major diseases, dental caries and periodontal disease, are both chronic diseases. Chronic diseases in the sense that diabetes is a chronic disease. You go to your physician's office and your physician doesn't fix your diabetes today, right? You go to a dental office and you've got a hole in the tooth. The dentist puts a, hole in, puts a filling in that, in that hole in the tooth. That does actually not fix the dental caries disease that caused the hole in the tooth to be there in the first place. And the same with the other major disease, periodontal disease. There's nothing a dentist can do on a given day that's going to fix that disease. So these are both chronic diseases that require management over time. It's not the way the dental industry is set up, even in terms of treatment payment or anything else. So there's a, a thinking now that we're talking about chronic diseases. And one of the things that people think about when you're talking about chronic diseases is looking at what is it that caused people to have good health and long lives over time. And it's very clear for, this is a meta-analysis of a bunch of studies showing that the major thing that happens that keeps people having health, health and this is whether it's general health or oral health, is behaviors. These are individual behaviors. These are things that people do by themselves and for themselves every day. There's the things like the use of alcohol and tobacco and do you diet? Um, what's, your, what's your diet like? What, do you exercise? Um, do you brush your teeth with some kind of fluoride product? These are all things people have some control of. Either people or people caring for them have some control of on a daily basis every day. That's the major thing that actually can cause people to have dental health or not. Um, there's some, of course, contribution by genetics, so you have to be care pick your parents very carefully if you want to do something about that one. Um, and then we can do some things as a society, but the contribution of procedures performed by healthcare professionals, and this is true for general health and oral health, is very small compared to the ability to actually maintain health by the things that we do every day. So in, in recognition of that, we have been developing something for a long time at my institution, which is a package of training materials called Overcoming Obstacles to Oral health. It started out 
um, back in the uh, 1990s. Uh, we're now up to our working on our sixth edition of it. Started out being on VHS cassettes, and then it went to CDs, and then it went to USB things. And uh, now, by later this uh, this year, it's going to be a free resource available on the internet that uh, anyone can access. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes of some idea of the content of it, but we think that um, the idea of helping individuals and caregivers being able to practice what we call good daily mouth care is actually the most important key to people having dental health because when you don't have good dental health, getting disease repaired is so difficult for many people and particularly those with developmental disabilities. So um, this was put together by a whole bunch of organizations that collaborated together. The basic idea is a pyramid training approach where you have oral health professionals who are able to uh, collaborate with and train um, social service professionals, nurses, facility managers, and leave the materials with them. Now it's going to be readily accessible over the Internet and be able to have those individuals work with parents and caregivers and direct care staff who have high turnover. So a new person comes into a facility, the manager can actually set them down in front of the computer and take them through a whole bunch of lessons and help support their um, being doing a much better job of daily mouth care. Uh, without giving all of the details of lessons to you. I'm going to flip through just a couple slides and give you a flavor of the kind of things that are in there. So th this is divided up into several things, several what we call the obstacles to good oral health, one of them being informational, and that's, of course, when people don't know what to do or, or how to do it. Um, but that's not true for many people know what to do. They just face other barriers like physical obstacles where someone just can't perform oral hygiene procedures because of physical uh, problems, or behavioral obstacles where people are resistive to having someone... Um, have anything near their face or in their mouth and letting someone, if they can't complete their oral hygiene procedures themselves. And finally, organizational obstacles, which is one that we've added since the first edition of this, because with a growing recognition that in any kind of a system of care, unless those at the top and those who are organizing the system put a priority on oral health, um, daily care and the direct care staff are probably not going to pay much attention to it. So if you're working in any kind of organization, whether those are, are um, residential facilities or daycare programs or other services that are provided th for people with developmental disabilities, any kind of system, getting the system to recognize the importance of oral health actually becomes really key to having the daily mouth care activities take place that need to. Um, so it, it includes materials like recognizing what dental disease looks like, the difference between a healthy and an unhealthy mouth, um, how to use, how to remove uh, plaque um, using specialized toothbrushes. These are examples of sort of two-sided toothbrushes. It makes it a little easier to, to remove plaque. Um, understanding basic infection control procedures, uh, how to store toothbrushes. We found working with a lot of direct care staff, they just a very basic thing they would think would be obvious. They just don't understand, needs, needs training and emphasis. Um, Adapted instrumentation for being able to do daily mouth procedures. We call these mouth rests. Some people call them mouth props, but just helping someone hold their mouth open while something's being done. Um, they can be made sort of disposably uh, easily. Um, positioning for being able to have, help someone um, uh, achieve oral hygiene or good, or good oral health. I'll just tell you a little story about this one slide. So this is an example of a dental hygienist holding an instrument, but uh, imagine that's a toothbrush in the hand of a caregiver. You know, I often am talking to caregivers, and some of you may have the opportunity to have the same kind of conversation, where I'm asking them, are they helping this individual to um, do their daily, daily mouth care? And they say, yeah, the, he or she can't do it themselves, so I help them. And I say, well, how do you do that? You know, where are, you? are you standing up? Are you in the bathroom? Where are you? Oh, you're in the bathroom. You're standing up. Yeah, standing behind the person trying to help them. Well, you can imagine a sort of resistive person. You're, you know, trying to do something like this, and you can't see, and the person's head's moving around. It's just really very difficult for a caregiver to do a good job. So, you know, we, we have um, 
uh, a, uh, have evolved uh, mostly through toothpaste commercials, actually. Um, the, the, the idea that you brush your teeth with, uh, with toothpaste, um, and the reason you do that, you're going to try to do two things. One is remove plaque, which is the bacterial accumulation. And the other thing you can do is apply fluoride, both of which are critical, but we do it all at once, right? The toothbrush is removing the plaque. You don't have to do it all at once. So the instruction to the caregiver would be, you know, why don't you try going into the living room, you have a couch, yeah, can you lay down and have someone put their head in, in your lap like that, maybe cradle their head to hold it, use a, a, one of those mouth rests to help them hold their mouth open. Just wet the toothbrush with a little bit of water just to soften it up a little bit. Don't have any, because as soon as you've got toothpaste in there, you've got to be spitting out and just impossible to get it done on the couch. Remove all the debris, remove all the plaque, do a good job of cleaning between the teeth, and then go into the bathroom, and then put some fluoride toothpaste on the thing and put it around, because the fluoride will actually diffuse around the mouth. So it doesn't all have to be done in one, in one step. So it, that's just an example of, of sort of a tip or trick that's a part of these training materials that can help people do a better job of what we call daily mouth care. Um, there's also a whole bunch of stuff in our training materials about behavioral intervention techniques or behavioral support techniques. I won't talk to you about what they are because I assume most people have an idea of what those are, but it's pretty critical if you're working with caregivers often don't really have the training to get someone who's resistive to having a toothbrush in their mouth to get them to the point where they'll accept it. So that kind of training is really critical if you're going to make a difference in daily oral health care. And there are manuals for the administrators and for uh, direct care staff, um, just some examples of all of that. And then the last thing is something we call a daily uh, mouth care plan, and as you know, in, um, in many care systems, including uh, those for developmental disabilities, you have all kinds of planning processes. Um, and often there's no mention of oral health care on those planning processes. We've developed a separate instrument for people to actually plan both behavioral interventions, what's, what the problems are the person's having, what's the method of dealing with those problems or issues at the moment uh, for the purpose of communication and um, making sure people are following an orderly plan to improve oral health. Okay, so that was all about, um, about daily mouth care. The other big innovation that's happening in oral health services is what I call the declining role of the dental drill. So when I was in dental school, um, I'm talking now particularly about, um, about tooth problems. When I was in dental school, even the very, very beginning of any kind of what we call demineralization of the tooth, the only thing you could do was to reach for a dental drill and drill out that part of the tooth and put an artificial substitute in. We now have all kinds of things that can be done um, short of doing that, and, and that uh, dental drill can be reserved for much more serious problems. So um, uh, fluoride varnish is, uh, some of you may know, is a, is a fluoride product that can be used just once or, or, uh, once or two or three times a year that has uh, proven uh, benefits. It can actually reverse dem demineralization of uh, enamel in, in teeth that's already begun. Um, there's a new product out that you may or may not have heard of because it's, it's been around for a long time in other countries, but just come to the, just been approved by the FDA in the United States uh, very recently called silver diamine fluoride. This is something one drop on a it carries a surface of the tooth. It stops the stops the decay, deposits a little thin layer of silver on that area of decay. That it takes a long time for it to start up again. So um, it's something that's proven very effective, and it's, it's starting to get more, much more widespread use in the in the dental profession now. Um, uh, dental sealants have been around for a long time, and very clearly, one of the, it's among, among the things with the most, uh, with the strongest evidence of uh, efficacy in the dental profession, is the ability to stop uh, decay, to seal grooves in teeth, to keep them from uh, decaying. And now, something relatively newer is called interim therapeutic restoration. So this is a technique that can be um, done. When I was in dental school, what I was taught was that if you have a tooth with some decay in it, you have to remove it all because if you don't. 
uh, there's going to be bacteria left underneath the filling, and they're going to continue to grow, and that bad things will happen. Well, the science, I'd say new science, I mean new, I mean 20 years, so new science is uh, such that uh, it's pretty clear now you don't actually have to remove all the decay from a tooth. With our new modern adhesive restorative materials, seal the bacteria in place, so people call it sealing caries in place. The bacteria stop growing. So not only is it okay to do it, but it's actually better for teeth to, you know, to use the very sort of scientific explanation. If you're mucking around in a deeper part of the tooth, um, and you're getting close to where the nerve is, you're much more likely to end up with nerve damage or toothache or actually needing a root canal or something like that afterwards. So it's actually better for teeth to leave some of the decay in the deeper part of the tooth. And the reason I'm going into this little mini dental lesson on dental restorations is the point of this is that removing decay, when you're removing just a surface decay and you're sealing, a, uh, uh, bond, you're sealing decay in by bonding a, a tooth-colored filling material in there, that can be done without any anesthetic, no drilling, no shots, and it can be done by a dental hygienist in a residential facility or in a community uh, or a community day program. So it, it removes the need for the dental drill, it removes the need for the dental office, and there's a whole bunch of teeth that can actually have be kept healthy without the need for sitting in a dental chair in a dental office. It's really a huge paradigm shift in terms of the previous idea that dental care happens in dental offices. We now have lots of ways to keep people healthy without resorting to what I call the high-cost surgical suite, which is what the dental office is. There's a lot of ways that allied dental personnel can keep people healthy in community settings. So we've got new science. Um, we've got this whole idea of, of dealing with chronic uh, dental care as chronic diseases. And the next sort of leg of this uh, three-circle Venn diagram you're going to see built here is the idea of different delivery systems. How do you actually get dental care to people? So um, we've been working for more than a decade now on something we call community-based telehealth-connected uh, team delivery systems. And um, we did part of this through a pilot project from our Office of Statewide Health Planning and Development um, here in, uh, in California. How many of you have heard of this, dental, uh, this workforce pilot project mechanism? So a few of you have. So California is actually unusual in that if you want to change the scope of practice of a profession in every other state, the only way to do it would be to go to the legislature and have them pass a law that changes the scope of practice. So you go to the legislature and you say to them, um, we'd like to have dental hygienists be able to take out people's appendix. And someone might say to you, well, how do you know that's a good idea? And you say, well, we don't know because they've never tried it before, actually, because they're not allowed to do it. But if you'll pass a law, let them do it. We'll see how it works out. Well, of course, that's a ridiculous idea. But that's kind of how it happens in most other states is someone has, goes to the legislature, proposes a change in scope of practice, and the legislators have to take it on faith that it's a good idea. California has a mechanism where you can actually go to this Office of Statewide Health Planning and Development. You can apply for what's called a Health Workforce Pilot Project. Uh, it's a big deal. There's lots of paperwork and public hearings. But if you get approval for that, you can actually try things that are out of the normal scope of practice. This is not just for dental care. It's nursing and every other health profession. Uh, you, you can create a whole new profession this way. And then you can go to the legislature saying, we've tried this thing in a pilot environment with heavily evaluated. Here's the data that shows it's safe and effective. And now we want you to pass a law, which obviously makes a lot more sense in the way it's done in other states. So we have this mechanism in California. We used it. Um, to test out some new ways of getting dental care to people. In, the idea was to do it in community settings. And um, we were testing two new specific duties. One was the ability for allied dental personnel to decide which x-rays to take before a dentist got involved in seeing them. Um, and the second one was to be able to place these things I just talked about, these interim therapeutic restorations. So, um, you know, the realization that we're coming to is, uh, and I think general health care is much further along in realizing that health care is a team sport and dental care is a team sport as well. So we, we came up with this system. We call it a virtual dental home. 
I'm sure most of you have heard of the term uh, medical homes or health homes. The general idea of the home concept is you're trying to uh, keep someone from getting lost in the complicated healthcare system we have, making sure they're getting back for the things they need to get back to, helping to educate them to be able to manage their own disease, getting people to advance surgical services when they need them. And in the general healthcare system, there's a now a, a, a pretty broad recognition that lots of different kinds of entities can do that set of services. In dental care, if you look at the dental literature, it's almost entirely referring to the dental home as the dentist's office. Um, and what we wanted to be able to demonstrate was you could demonstrate, you could have all those concepts that are part of the home system, a dental home, but it could be done in what we call a geographically distributed telehealth-connected team environment. So it wasn't everybody in the same place at the same time. This telehealth system could connect all the right people together, and you could deliver all the services of the dental home. So we've been testing this for, um, well, now it's getting to be more than a decade. The general idea, this is a dental hygienist who's in a school. Um, she's, that little thing in her hand is, uh, looks like a hairdryer, but it's not. It's actually a, a miniaturized x-ray machine. And the, inside the young lady's mouth is, no, we no longer use film. That's a digital sensor. Uh, so she's taking x-rays. This is a photograph of the tooth. You can see the little picture of the tooth on the laptop computer in the back there. Um, this is actually a gentleman who's uh, got intellectual disabilities. Um, he's a uh, client of the Golden Gate Regional Center. He had had all of his previous dental work done in the hospital operating room. He walked in, would walk into a dental office. He'd be nervous. Dentist would look at him and say, I can't work on this guy. He's going to have to go to the hospital and have dental care under general anesthesia. And yet, in his own house, that's, a, that's his favorite chair. That's where he watches TV. Um, he's got that thing over his face because he didn't like the light, but that was his idea. So he's able to have here a full set of x-rays taken. The hygienist can clean his teeth. She can apply those small restorations when he needs them. He may never have to go back to the to the hospital again. So you can see how just changing the environment and changing the way you're delivering service can make a huge difference in terms of people's ability to get dental care and to have procedures done that they might not do in the context of the scary surgical suite dental office. Um, this is done through portable equipment. This, this all packs up and with a trip to the car, you're in one place one day, you're in another place the other day. And we've been testing this across the age spectrum from young children in uh, preschools and elementary schools all the way up through um, people in uh, nursing facilities, residential facilities for people with disabilities. So it has broad, applic broad application. Um, so we did a, a formal test of the, the general idea being that the uh, allied personnel are collecting records in some place. All the records are going up into a cloud-based system where a dentist who's not in the residential facility or, or the daycare program or the school is able to get access to them, can see a full set of dental records, make a diagnosis and a treatment plan, and then um, provide instructions for the allied personnel who are there. And so this is an example of, um, of one of those uh, small restorations being placed, again, in a, this one's in a school, but it could picture the same thing in a, in a residential facility for someone with disabilities or a daycare program using portable equipment. That small hole, for many people, um, nothing happens at all until that turns into a bigger hole and a bigger hole. And then at some point they have a toothache, and at some point they have an infection, and they end up in the emergency room or the hospital operating room. Now, in about, uh, about 10 or 15 minutes with no, no shots, no drilling, that decay is sealed in place, and that tooth put into holding pattern sometimes for many years before anything else has to be done for it. So it's just an example of an innovation in dental care that's uh, allowing us to really think very differently about how we improve the oral health of lots of people, including those with developmental disabilities. Um, these are just some examples of those uh, kind of restorations with beginning decay that's been sealed in place. Um, this one is actually was done in a, uh, a nursing facility where um, 
for lots of people who are taking many medications. There's about 400 different medications that cause dry mouth, and dry mouth is devastating for teeth in terms of, of leading to rampant dental caries. And it often starts like this one does in the upper left picture right at the gum line. And a dental hygienist, again, no shots, no drilling, was able to seal all those areas in place and put those teeth into a holding pattern for a long period of time. So we did this test uh, across um, California in 13 different communities demonstrating this, this system, about 50 different sites. And there's a whole report on our website if you wanted to read the details. But basically what we found was that we could make this idea of telehealth-connected teams work. We could have people in different places. They could communicate together and form a full system of care connecting through telehealth. Uh, we think about it as sort of a hub-and-spoke system where the hub is where the dentists are. That's the places like the dental office or a dental clinic. And the spokes are any kind of community site where you might have someone who's um, uh, a dental hygienist can go with portable equipment, set up their equipment for the day, and be able to see people in that environment. And, and in fact, um, what we found was, as a result of that demonstration, that this was a way to reach a lot of people who are not getting access to dental care. Um, it was a way to emphasize prevention and early intervention to get to people early before small problems became big problems. We actually found the, the majority of people could be kept healthy um, and verified healthy on site. About two-thirds of children didn't need anything else other than the dental hygienist, only one physically touching them, about two-thirds, which we were working with very low-income, high-disease rates populations, and uh, that's a really big deal because most of the children in these populations were not getting any care at all until they had big, big problems. And a little bit less with people with, uh, with adults, people with disabilities, about, about 50 or 60 percent, but still high numbers of people could be kept healthy with the dental hygienist, the only one physically touching them. And the word verified in there is really actually pretty important to be kept healthy and verified healthy on site because most kind of dental care systems where people are going into the community or school-based care or um, we've, had, we've done something for 20 years of having hygienists be in residential facilities doing some kind of hygiene procedures, all those other kind of systems where the dentist is not involved, everyone gets told, okay, we did X, Y, or Z today, but you need to go see a dentist because we didn't do a complete examination. And so then there's a whole process of getting someone to a dental office, which is often difficult to do. Now using the telehealth system and being able to bring the dentist in to the school, the residential facility, the, the care home, being able to bring the den dentist in through the telehealth system, now we can actually have the dentist say, I reviewed the records, do a complete examination and treatment plan. You are healthy now. Next thing you need is to have a recare visit, a recall visit by the hygienist in three or six months or whatever it is. And so being able to actually verify that people are healthy on site using the telehealth system becomes a big deal as well. The other thing that's really critical here is the bullet that says continuous presence. So we describe this system as a continuous presence system, meaning that whatever the site is where the hygienists are, and these are typically group sites, it's not really economically feasible to do this where you're going to just one home at a time, although there are some, some instances where that is done. But any kind of a group setting, having the hygienist be there on a regular basis all year long. Now, regular basis doesn't necessarily mean five days a week. It might be uh, one day every other week or it might be one day a month. But having the hygienist there on a regular basis actually changes a lot of thinking in the environment. It raises people's awareness about oral health. People are starting to think about dental care more than they were before. It has a huge impact, and I think the most important thing, as I said earlier, which is daily mouth care. You know the hygienist is coming back, and you know they're going to be looking in the, in the person you're caring for's mouth, and you know that if you haven't been brushing their teeth, there's going to be a lot of, it's going to be obvious to the hygienist, and you don't, want to, you don't want to look bad, so you're going to actually pay attention because you know they're coming back. So this idea of continuous presence from an oral health professional in the, in the environment makes a big difference in the most important thing, which is actually this daily mouth care idea. It also begins to integrate oral health 
care in with the community organizations, whether these are social service or educational or general health organizations, having a member of the dental team there begins to integrate the oral health services so it's not an isolated system like it often, uh, often is. And it actually brings the dentist in through the telehealth system without the dentist having to be in those locations. So as a result of that 10-year demonstration, we had a bill that was passed and signed in 2014, AB 1174. It took those duties we were testing and made them a part of the scope of practice of allied dental personnel, um, made the Washington Post. So it uh, said California to launch Medicaid-funded teledentistry. So the Medicaid funding was a part of the bill. It wasn't the only thing in the bill, but that's what made the news. Um, but it did require our California Medicaid system to pay for dental services, whether they're performed in person or whether they're performed using telehealth-connected team services. That's now a part of the, of the uh, Dentical system in California. Um, the American Dental Association has subsequently, that was, I had an opportunity to testify at their House of Delegates, has subsequently adopted a policy saying that, that uh, teledentistry is an important tool a dentist should be able to use and get paid for, and so it's beginning to get national, national attention now. California has adopted now regulations and bulletins out to dentists about how to bill using telehealth-connected teams. Uh, the other one was for the fee-for-service system, and this is something we work with the California Primary Care Association. The billing system's a little different for health centers, but we now have guidance for both the fee-for-service system and the health center system about how to use telehealth-connected teams and be able to bill for them. So a little run-through of our history with all this is that you know, it started in 2009 with this proof of concept of this idea of using telehealth-connected teams. Got to the legislation in 2014 and regulations in 2015. And um, since that time, it's really it's been expanding, both in California. We have grant-funded projects now where we're working right now with about 40 different uh, health centers and private practice dentists to teach them how to do this kind of system. It's actually pretty different than the normal way of delivering dental care, so people still need training and tactical assistance in doing it, but we've got a lot of interest in it now. And we've had about uh, eight or nine other states that have copied California's legislation and now are paying uh, their Medicaid systems are required to pay for telehealth delivered services and teledentistry in particular. And we've got funded replication project, the system going now in Oregon and Colorado uh, and, and Hawaii. So um, it's going to be ubiquitous across the country um, in the next uh, probably decade that everyone is going to be using this style of care to reach lots of people. As you heard earlier, the 200 million people who are not getting dental care in our country, this is not going to reach every one of them, but I think it's going to allow the dental profession to go a long ways towards delivering more dental care to a lot more people. The last thing just to touch on, I think many of you are aware of this, is just the whole way that we're beginning as a country to think differently about financial, about financial incentives. And I'm sure you're all aware that we've entered an era of accountability where our policymakers are asking not just what are we paying for, but what are we getting out of what we pay for. And with our national goal having now become the, uh, the triple aim, the, uh, the goal of uh, improving the experiences of care for people, improving the health of the populations, and doing all that at a lower cost per capita. And now it's evolved from the triple aim to the quadruple aim with the addition of the fact that provider satisfaction has actually got to be included if we're going to have a healthcare system that works. It wasn't in the original formulation, but that's actually a part of it, a part of it now. And so we're moving towards systems where there's a lot more measurement and outcomes-based uh, based care and people are beginning to figure out how do you pay for health outcomes as opposed to just for paying for health professionals just to do a lot of, a lot of stuff. And we feel that this idea of getting to people early 
providing prevention, early intervention services in sites where people are receiving other kinds of services, getting dental care integrated, is going to be a key to actually being able to reach those, those goals of producing better health, having people have better experiences, and doing all that at a lower cost per capita. To rely solely on the high-cost surgical suite, which is a dental office, we're really going in the opposite direction of, the, of, of those aims. So dental care in the future. I think we're all going to climb into one of these machines at some point, and the dentist who's at their house is going to be doing something with data glows. And... <laughs> yeah, but that's not this year, though, so that's a little bit further down the road. Um, but what I think is actually coming uh, uh, sooner than, than many people realize is this idea of using uh, geographically distributed telehealth-enabled oral health teams I think is going to be, it's already beginning to spread. We're getting lots of interest, and I think that's going to be a big part of dental care. Actually, what I say now is if, if we were to be able to jump into the time machine and get uh, 20 years in the future and you were to ask uh, dental providers across the dental industry, are you using telehealth-connected teams as part of your work, they would say, well, of course we're doing that. Why, why would we not do that? The same way if you ask someone today, are you using some kind of smartphone? They, well, of course I do. Why would I not do that, right? But if you ask someone you know, 20 years ago, they would not even know what the word meant. So um, I think we're going to see a lot more adoption of this style of, of uh, expanding the role of dentists, having dentists be able to expand their reach much further using this idea of telehealth-connected teams. I think as we do that, as we focus more on health outcomes, we're going to see uh, much more focus on dental care using biological and medical and behavioral and social tools as a way of improving health rather than, as I say, the declining use of the dental drill as the sort of primary focus of how dental care happens. Uh, and we're going to see dental care become much more integrated with general health, educational, and social service systems. And I don't think this is optional for the dental industry because um, if we're going to actually get back to interacting with the majority of the population, we're going to be pushed to do this as we focus on health outcomes as we get further into the area of accountability. So I want to finish up with just a couple of, of thoughts about uh, people with developmental disabilities in particular in relation to all of these innovations. So one is... Um, to repeat what I said earlier, which is that daily mouth care is the key, number one, and everything else pales in comparison. If you don't have good daily mouth care, people are not going to have uh, good oral health, no matter what any dental professional does uh, to them or with them. Um, the second issue is if things do get to the point where they need disease repair, uh, being able to perform procedures without having to use sedation or anesthesia is really critical. We have um, at, at dental at uh, Dental schools across the country, which off, across the state, which are often the primary providers of local of general anesthesia dental services, although the other dentists are doing it as well. We have huge waiting lists. We have more than a year and a half waiting list at my dental school for someone who's already been deemed that they got their problems are severe enough. They need to have dental care under general anesthesia. Can you imagine it? It's like you heard earlier about the payment system. Well, this is not a payment system. It's just a capacity system. Yeah, you've got this disease. It's so advanced you need to be treated under general anesthesia and uh, come back in a year and a half and we'll see what the waiting list looks like. Um, it's, it's just, you know, it's an impossible situation. And, uh, and we're not going to solve that by producing more uh, opportunities for general anesthesia. It's just way too expensive. And the only, the only solution is to be able to reduce the need for general anesthesia by getting to people earlier, which leads to the last bullet, which is that prevention and early intervention care delivered in community settings is most likely to result in better, uh, better mouth uh, care and then better oral health and reduce the need for the consequences of treating disease when they're much further down the road. Um, now, we have a payment system right now, the Medicaid or Medicaid dental program, Denical, which does not support any of the stuff that's required to be able to do what I've just been talking about. It doesn't support um, care coordination, doesn't support education activities, doesn't support caregiver support activities. Um, doesn't support really anything that's needed to support to have an effective system of community delivered delivered care. Um, 
which means that if we're going to be able to do this, and there's already some experience with it, it actually falls back, the opportunity to do it today in today's payment environment falls back to the regional centers. So regional centers can and some have um, been able to come up with funding to be able to pay dentists for doing things that are out of the norm or go beyond what the Dentical system pays for. And in fact, we have um, projects going now. I've worked with a lot of, had the opportunity to work with a lot of the regional centers across the state in various ways over the 40 years I've been doing this kind of work. So it's getting to be a long time. And we have three specific projects going right now with the Alta Regional Center and uh, Golden Gate and North Bay where we're specifically using this idea that we've been talking about today, this idea of using telehealth-connected uh, teams. So we're in those projects, we're, uh, we're, providing, we're recruiting, helping to recruit providers. We're actually doing training for the providers on how to work with people with developmental disabilities. We're helping them set up this whole idea of telehealth-connected teams to be able to um, know how to reach people without having them have to come into a, a dental office or a clinic. Um, we're figuring out and helping them work with uh, regional centers to integrate dental services in with residential facilities and day programs and other places where people in the regional center system are located. And um, the regional centers are actually using their, uh, their funding to pay for um, some of these education and prevention and care management and early intervention services. I think it's critical, actually, if you're involved in a regional center system and thinking about how to improve oral health and uh, realizing that's one of the top problems that, that the people are being served have is to think about ways to support systems, systems like this. I know a number of regional centers around the state uh, are paying a fair amount of money for dentists to, take, uh, to support dentists to be able to do dental care under general anesthesia. And while I think that that's admirable because the backlog is so huge, as you've heard, and it's a, it's a needed service when people get to that stage, I think that we need to shift that pendulum to maybe in addition have the regional centers realize the value of getting to people much earlier and preventing disease before it gets to the point of needing general anesthesia. And there are mechanisms where, uh, and these three regional centers have figured out how to do it, there are mechanisms to be able to pay dental providers and to set up systems like this. So I think that there's uh, the innovations I've talked about. I think there's a lot of hope for the future for being able to do things differently and do things differently in a much more effective way. Um, I'll be happy to talk at the panel in a few minutes for questions and answers or even at lunchtime if you want to talk to me or there's my email address if you want to get in contact with me afterwards. So thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.